Are you ready? You are about to enter the Power On Boost podcast, where we facilitate the awakening of your personal power by providing powerful content that will inspire you, motivate you, and help you realize you are enough. Come join your host, Adrian Wesley, and let him show you how you can turn your power on and be alive to thrive. How you doing, everybody? Very, very excited. This is the Power on Boost podcast, facilitating the awakening of personal power worldwide. I've got a very, very exciting guest today. His name is Dr. Nicholas Jensen. He's a father, a husband. He's a human optimization advocate, and he's also a naturopathic doctor out of Vancouver, Canada. And he's also one of my closest best friends and little brothers. So very, very excited to be here doing this interview with you today, Nick. Oh man, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. I mean, it's it's funny. We were just commenting uh, before we started here. Just it's been two years, and it's like when you finally get to meet that person who's who is like a brother. It just things just click, and so I'm grateful to be here and and share whatever I can for your guests. Awesome, awesome, and uh, yeah, we were uh, we were talking. Uh, I told you uh, earlier when when I was thinking about when we first met and it's just really amazing when you meet people on the same page and now we've teamed up to help my clients and you round out my practice by providing the prevention and the naturopathic doctor side of things. Oh, and before I get started, I want to tell you that I'm very jealous about this longevity clinic that you <laughs> created at your place. Yeah, um, well, it's, it's, it's going to be under construction very soon. So we, maybe if we've got time, I can, I can share a little bit more about that. To all my listeners, that was a plug, by the way. That was a big fucking plug. Go see his longevity clinic in Vancouver when he opens it up. This man is gold. Nick, maybe you could tell everybody about why you became a naturopath and what's your why to get us started, please. Yeah, thank you for the introduction too, buddy. Just really appreciate you. I mean, there's there's many reasons, but you know, it's, it's funny. It's, you know, it's kind of like this. It, when you start listening to that call in your, in your heart and your soul to something bigger than yourself, you don't realize you're actually listening until you start moving towards something. And when I was going to school in undergrad, I, I had this idea that I was going to be a dentist because I knew I wanted to make a lot of money. And that was, <laughs> that was a driving force as a young kid. How am I going to set myself up for life? And you, know, you start looking through the different lists of things to do. And, and I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. And I figured, well, dentists seem to do really well. Maybe that's what I should do. And it's funny how life sort of just starts to move you into the direction you need to go because my whole life, I was always fortunate enough to have a mom that, that really embraced healthy eating. And I was always into sports, played college basketball. And so everything about what I did was already in line with living a healthy lifestyle. It was kind of second nature to me. And when I uh, considered going to dental school, I realized that why am I not excited about this at all? You know, I think of teeth and yeah, they're important to brush. But when I thought about really, what is it that, that I want to deliver the world? I started to read up on different aspects of health and I knew I didn't want to be a general practitioner. I'd seen my doctor many times over and it was kind of the typical thing. You go into your doctor and you know, you've got a rash, here's this antibiotic, you've got this pain, take this painkiller. It seemed very sterile and boring to me. So when I started to read up on some of the alternative aspects to healthcare, I started to look through the list of all the different things that natural doctors were able to do, you know, acupuncture, herbal medicine, 
this thing called homeopathy, which I knew nothing about at the time, physical medicine, like adjustments and things like that, and, and nutrition and, and lifestyle support. I, I went like, this is how I live my life. And this, this is stuff that I'm actually very interested in. Wouldn't it be cool to actually do a job that was in alignment with what you already felt passionate about and felt purposeful about and felt like more people needed to know? And so it was actually through my mom and, and her own journey to a naturopath, which I got to go visit as well. And I, and I realized just the scope of practice of natural naturopathic medicine and the way that these doctors were looking at health and, and it wasn't just about, you know, pain management or disease management. It wasn't just about giving a pill. It was like, Hey, tell me about your mood. Tell me about your lifestyle. Tell me about your diet. Tell me about your upbringing, tell me about the kinds of foods you eat and the people you interact with. And it was like opening up this, this veil to a possibility that this world is actually a pretty darn cool place if, if we start to realize that there, we have a holistic approach and viewpoint to life and not one that's so black or white. If you've got this, you do that, right? So it was an awakening journey and it allowed me to move into a place where I, I realized I, I had a lot to give and, and already some decent base knowledge. But um, it was answering a call that I didn't realize I was answering until I started to listen to that, to that drive. Very, very, very cool story. And it's also very exciting to hear someone in medicine talk about holistic and prevention. And I've mentioned this before to my audience. These are all my opinions, but I believe we're very much in a sickness system in Canada. And it's just very exciting to know that naturopaths are out there. Can you explain to everybody how much education you guys have compared to medical GPs uh, mm -hmm. just so they get an idea? Because a lot of people around the world don't know what naturopaths are. So if you could explain to everybody what that is. Yeah, definitely. So you need, whether you're going to dental school, which was my original track, right? A medical school, naturopathic medicine, whatever the track is, everybody needs an undergrad and in undergraduate degree. So you got to do four years of post high school education, at least to get your degree. But you also need the required prerequisite courses like biochemistry, and I think maybe genetics and organic chemistry, physics, math. So it was definitely more focused on science and obviously biology and that kind of thing. And then it's a four year program, just like medical school. The difference between medical school and naturopathic school, I mean, there's many differences, but one of the main ones is we don't have a residency program through naturopathic medicine. So we don't do hospital rotations and things like that. There are different schools in the U.S. that have more of an affiliation in, in different states where they actually do get incorporated into hospitals. Here in British Columbia, where we live, um, all the naturopathic doctors are private practice. And general practitioners or medical doctors obviously work in, the, in, the, in Canada here where we've got a MSP coverage, or basically everyone gets free healthcare, free quotation mark healthcare. We do pay a monthly fee, but that's the main difference is that we're private. But this pretty much the same amount of schooling. We definitely learn a lot of different things, but we, you know, we did anatomy. We, we dissected human beings, which was an interesting experience. You know, we did all the science courses. We, we learned about pathology and we learned about medicines and we had to take a pharmacology course because naturopathic doctors do actually prescribe certain medications. And so we had to learn a lot of what GPs learn, but we also had to learn, you know, the Chinese medicine, the homeopathy, the physical medicine, psychology and, and mental health and, you know, exercise physiology, all these things that, that go into a more holistic approach to healthcare. So on that front, it was, that's probably where the diversion was. Yeah. 
Very, very cool. And so everybody understands I'm a human optimization coach and I'm not a medical doctor, but I send my clients to see Dr. Nick Jensen to make sure that they get their blood work checked, to get full body diagnostic checked, their toxicity checked. So naturopaths, especially good ones like uh, Dr. Jensen, are very much dealing with prevention and they're looking at the whole person, which is, I'm a big advocate for that because it's missing in the in the whole system. Now, uh, yeah. what are your main motivators in your work? What do you focus on? What gets you jacked up? What are the things that you're excited about, Nick? Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of build off of what you just said there. I mean, just kind of going back to the disease management model of medicine where, you know, you come in and see a doctor because you've got, I don't know, a sore foot and, and then they put you on a pain medication or an anti-inflammatory. Where we always start with people is that we sort of, I sort of figured out a way to put people into different categories. Category one is reversal of illness, not management of an illness. So if someone comes in with diabetes or an autoimmune condition or cancer or any chronic condition, we start having a dialogue around reversal because we have to slow a moving train. It's not an easy job. The work is on us both, me to educate and the patient to listen to the plan and start to put things in action. But from, from a disease reversal, we start to move into prevention. And that's a, that's a necessary step. We know that you know, the only way to cure cancer, the only way to cure any illness is not through a cure, it's actually through prevention. Prevention is, is our biggest, most important tool. And it's all about what you teach, optimization, right? So we have to move from a place of reversing an illness, slowing the moving train, and then starting to focus on prevention. And once we've got to prevention, now we can move into optimization, right? And optimization is where the longevity lab comes in or, you know, implementing tools to extend the years, bioidentical hormone therapy or optimizing vitamin nutrition levels and those kind of things. And then the last leg of this journey is legacy. And being a father as well, we put a lot of emphasis on teaching ourselves so we can teach the next generation of, of people coming, you know, living on this planet. Because if we don't start putting our mindsets towards who's coming after us we're just living for ourselves and that that leaves me with a real bad taste in my mouth especially having kids knowing that potentially just looking at the plastic in the ocean or the gong show with uh you know people being stuck in a sick state for so long we're not really paying attention to the future generations and, and man that's got to be one of the most important things so that lights me up knowing that we can take someone from a place of dysfunctional thought processing, especially with the work you do, buddy, to the dysfunctional eating patterns, this dysfunctional relationship to what it means to be a physical being and actually move in your body, to the toxicity burden that we all experience. You know, all these are things that need to be addressed so we can move into prevention optimization. And, and the journey is seeing people move through this path and decreasing and removing pathology. We're actually teaching people how to turn on these epigenetic switches. So Epigenetics is really uh, the understanding that our genes, our expression of who we are from an illness or a health point of view, comes down to internal and external environments. So when we change our internal environments, like you teach with the thought patterning and hypnotherapy, to the food choices that change our biochemistry, to the exercise rhythm, which changes our hormones and supplementation and all these things, we actually start turning on genes for health and longevity, and we turn off these bad genes. And that just gets me excited to no end. Well, it gets you excited. Just talking to you is getting <laughs> me fucking fired up, brother. And I think 
One of the coolest parts about this discussion, everybody, is that what Dr. Jensen's talking about is what I talk, what I call self-love. So yeah. it's learning to come home to yourself, learning to love yourself, and learning to do the things daily that create the environment to thrive. Because if you look at plants, they need a certain pH soil, they need a certain environment, they need a certain amount of water, and they need a certain amount of love. And humans are very much the same now. One thing you mentioned there, two things I want to touch on is cancer and epigenetics because epigenetics gets me fucking riled up excited because we've <laughs> taken, taken the power back with what we know about our genes and our cells and our thoughts yeah. and a lot of what Bruce Lipton is working on. But first of all, I want to, I want part of this podcast mission is to wake people up. You said some about <laughs> cancer. Please tell everybody about how sugar feeds cancer and what people need to do with cancer and what they need to walk away from right now. Could you please shed some light on that brother? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, beautiful. The the first thing to say here again is just to reiterate cancer is all about focusing on cancer is really focusing on prevention. Let's break down a genetic change that's actually happening in cancer cells. And so this is why, you know, this is an emergent illness. This was, 5% 5% of the population back in the 1920s. I mean, it's, it was ridiculously low back then. Um, that was also there were about 5 to 10% of the population had diabetes back then. We're way past that now, 50% plus. Not necessarily true diabetes, but insulin resistance and you know, weight gain, obesity, those kind of things. So the reality is, is that we're on a trajectory right now where we're so deep into poisoning ourselves that we've activated the epigenetic triggers for a survival gene. And when we look at the research of uh, Dr. Thomas Seyfried, he's one of the pioneers on understanding these old principles of just oxygen supply to a cell. Cancer cells are literally cells who can only use sugar and an amino acid called glutamate for cellular energy. So basically their genes have been switched or turned off to only be able to use that fuel. Now, human cells, our natural human state, can use two fuel sources, sugar and fat. So considering the fact that the epigenetic triggers have actually transformed the gene expression in a cell, the cell is stuck in a state of survival, and it can survive without oxygen, which is another key factor or key biochemical um, reality for these cancer cells. So they live in an anaerobic or oxygen-deprived environment, and they live off of sugar. I mean, <laughs> that right there should tell you that sugar is a huge problem. It's, uh, it's a huge issue with regards to uh, turning or reversing an illness because if we don't change or force an adaptation in the body to, to teach the body to also use fat, and should we take that path, should we choose that for ourselves, we're actually starving these cells. And allowing ourselves to turn off these survival genes to now go, everything's fine, everything's safe. We've got another fuel supply to work with. We can actually upregulate our mitochondrial function or or cellular energy, as we like to call it, so that we can kick out these mechanisms for chronic disease and inflammation, which sugar is one of those culprits that, uh, that so many of us are either addicted to or we don't know how to actually change uh, the, this programming within ourselves. So it's, it's happening at the level of epigenetics, and sugar is a massive issue with regards to these cells and their programming. Awesome. And, and I'm going to paraphrase that for all us simple people. Stay away from fucking sugar if you have <laughs> cancer. 
I can't tell you how frustrating it is. I've visited patients in the cancer ward and they fucking have ice cream on their tray Hello. with their food. Yeah. And I volunteered at the Ronald McDonald House and this little girl had chemotherapy, radiation to kill everything in her body. And they were feeding her cake and cupcakes. And the cupcake yeah. company had them all over the counter at the Ronald McDonald House. So these kids are going and having chemo, killing everything in their body, trying to kill mm -hmm. the cancer. And we give them sugar that lowers their immune system and feeds the cancer. So a loud message to everybody, a wake-up call. If you have cancer, run from sugar. Now, yeah. on that note with sugar, let's chat quickly about, well, maybe not quickly, but let's talk about type 2 diabetes. That's another topic I'm very, very passionate about. I used to sell metformin for a pharmaceutical company, and we used to tell the doctors that if you have type 2 diabetes, you're going to have diabetes for the rest of your life, and you're going to be on metformin the rest of your life. And then as you and I work together, diabetes, type 2 diabetes can be reversed. So mm -hmm. uh, what message do you have for anybody that has type 2 diabetes? Yeah, well, great. Yeah, that's a great segue. And one of the most important things I think to understand is that, again, this is the disease management model. We're looking at blood sugar, diabetes, that's basically, you know, Latin for high blood glucose. What this reality is, is this is actually a hormone problem. This is not a blood sugar problem. So if we look at what metformin does, it's just, it's actually stopping gluconeogenesis, new glucose production in the liver. And, and we're trying to do whatever we can to manage this blood glucose when we forgot that this is actually being driven by an insulin problem. And so this insulin resistance and eventual medication that gets put in for people with diabetes is to give them more insulin. But insulin is the thing that's making them diabetic because their cells are becoming resistant. I mean, it's just goofy. It's completely ass backwards in how they're treating it. They're focusing all their efforts on this blood sugar, blood glucose, when really they got to go back a little a step further and look at the hormonal changes. Essentially, you know, what this is, is these high insulin states over long, long stretch of times, over the long periods of times, essentially makes the harder for the, the pancreas to secrete more and more of, the, these, the, the, of this hormone insulin. And insulin, just for those of you who don't know, every time you eat a protein or a carbohydrate, you're going to spike insulin. And so part of the diabetes problem isn't just what we're eating, all the sugar, but it's also eating too many times throughout the day. And this constant upregulation of this insulin secretion, which is trying to just manage the blood sugar, bring the blood sugar back down, is really what's causing this, this rise in obesity, the rise in cardiovascular disease, the, the increased you know, diagnoses of cancer, because everything's all about growth. Insulin is really a hormone, a hibernation hormone, we call it. It tells your body to stop breaking down fat. So what happens to people who go on insulin when they're type 2 diabetic, they get more fat. Why? Not because their sugar's out of control, it's because they're pumping more and more insulin into their body. And so this is a, this is a massive issue. And so if we start to go upstream, like, we, like we, what, what we like to say, go upstream, start correcting the hormonal imbalance, then we can start to address the diabetes problem, the high sugar. And obviously that comes along with what we eat, when we eat, and then we also teach a ton about toxicity, which is which is a whole nother, you know, stream of uh, thought with regards to a, a problem that's inducing diabetes as well. Amazing. So just to review, if you have cancer, run from sugar. And if you have type 2 diabetes, it's not a life sentence. You can reverse it. I also want to share with everybody, you might hear in the background, there's some thunder going on here in Thailand, and I've got some extremely loud crickets. So everybody 
everybody outside of my place is super fucking excited about what we're talking about because it just started to ramp up as soon as we started talking. The thunder's oh. going, vroom, vroom. So it's your electricity, on, man. It's just building. We're on to some hot topics here. So oh, diabetes, not a life sentence. Go see Dr. Nick Jensen and get some help with your diabetes. It's not a life sentence. Don't let any GP tell you that. Now, you mentioned something that I'm very passionate about. We've talked about this before. I was a fitness competitor. I got into all the dieting and the foods, and I don't promote that industry. I think there's a lot of unhealthy aspects to that industry, but I brought it up because it's when I really started looking at how I was eating and when I was eating, and it made me focus on the fact that my stomach had been bloated all my life from food choices and then finding out that 80% or higher of your serotonin is created in your gut. I'd like to talk to you about intermittent fasting. I was doing that before I met you, but you helped me get on the train and do that even better. So now I, I eat twice a day, brother, I have four hours a day as per your recommendation. I take one day a week and do a 24-hour fast. So maybe let everybody know why you like intermittent fasting and why is it so important to spread the message that people are eating too fucking much and too often. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that ties everything that we were just speaking to into this next part because you know this is part of the problem of modern man i mean it's funny actually, i actually had a, had a patient the other day she's a, an older greek woman and the dialogue was hilarious because she has all the chronic symptoms she's on a, like a boatload of medications and you know high blood pressure statins uh, so high lipid levels she was on blood sugar medication she was on a mood stabilizer she was on couple other things, one for pain medication, something else. So she was on a boatload of different things. And so the first question I asked her, I said, tell me what it was like growing up in Greece. And I said, I asked her, like, when was your first meal? We woke up, maybe had a bit of tea and then toast. We, we ate at like, I don't know, eight or nine in the morning. Great. Okay. And when was your next meal? Oh, we had lunch. And then I said, okay, great. Well, when was your next meal after that? We had dinner. So did you guys snack at all in between? No, we, we weren't allowed to snack. And how'd that feel? Oh, sometimes I felt hungry, but I was, I was okay. And I asked, when was your biggest meal? It was lunch. So what you're telling me is you barely had anything for breakfast, just a, like a bite of a toast or something. You had a huge lunch and then you had a very small dinner and you stopped eating probably around six o'clock. So I said, what does that tell you? And then what are you doing now? And obviously she listed off all her snacks. She has cookies. She has like all this stuff. And I said, what if I told you, what if we got you down eating to when you did when you were growing up? And what if we made a bet that you could probably start coming off some of your medications because your blood pressure is going to improve, your mood's going to improve, your energy is going to go up, your cholesterol levels are going to go down. What if we just started to shift there and started to shrink your meal window? And it was funny just seeing her eyes kind of light up and, you know, she got it. There's no sense of diabetes and, and issues in cultures where people are doing that. So to make it simple, what we teach people to do is stop eating so darn much because every time you eat a protein or carbohydrate, you're increasing insulin. So if we can focus on not eating less calories, but just eating less often, we can start to do what we call shrinking your meal window. And like Adrian, you just mentioned, you're, you're now within a four-hour meal window, which is absolutely unheard of in the growth kind of model, especially when it comes to like fitness and muscle building. But even for the general public to think that, Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Well, great. Well, make sure when you break your fast breakfast, you do it with the right kinds of food, but you delay it so that you can build off that fasting period through the night. And what this does, it optimizes testosterone, growth hormone. It gives your digestive system a chance to repair, meaning you can 
use those neurotransmitters to actually feed your brain instead of feed the inflammation in your gut. I mean, it turns off bad genes. It helps your digestive cells to turn over. It helps to heal the skin. I mean, it's nearly endless, the kind of benefits that you get from doing this kind of model. And it's not like it's anything magical. It's just how we were always meant to eat. You know, this is the funny thing. And so I don't even call it fasting anymore. I don't even call it intermittent fasting because it's just eating in a smaller time period. So we call it time-restricted eating. Um, and true fasting, um, if we, and I'm talking a little bit more about that, that doesn't really happen biochemically in your body till about three or four days of no food at all. So we just call this, like get rid of the word fasting, just call it time-restricted eating. I'm just controlling my meal window. Amazing, amazing. And the message I have to everybody is that uh, learning to eat less and eating smaller meals has completely changed my life. Can you share with everybody, one of the big things I'm very, very vocal about is not eating four hours before bed because the food takes time to move through the digestive system. I've suffered from depression before. I notice a marked difference on how I feel when I wake up when I'm not because what most people are doing is eating a heavy meal at night, moving from the couch to the couch, staying on the couch and doing the sumo diet, just basically going to sleep and wondering why. And, and I will say this publicly that there are people that are depressed right now because they're eating and going to sleep and not allowing their body to do what it needs to do at night. So can you explain what happens when you have a full belly of stomach and how it's denying the body the ability to do all of the wonderful things it's supposed to do? Oh man, yeah, this is a huge topic. So I, I'm going to first off say a lot of this information that that I'm going to share, I've got from uh, multiple sources, but one of the ones that I usually recommend people go and look into, it's the work of Dr. Sachin Panda. And he's a, he's got a cool name, but he's also a, he's a sleep researcher. And he talks a lot about circadian rhythms. And so he wrote a book called The Circadian Code, and he's published in a bunch of different articles, but we're programmed mostly by two big things hormonally speaking that's our the light the, the the light we're exposed to which is why i love everything you share with regards to getting out and seeing the sunrise and sunset and we're also programmed by when we eat so the reality is is that when we skip breakfast that's a peak testosterone secretion time so we don't want to eat right when we wake up because we want testosterone especially for us men well women too we want our energy hormones to ramp up in the morning and we don't want to be crushed and saturated with insulin right when we get out of bed. So our body needs to go through a natural rhythm of red light in the morning, blue light during the day, red light at night, black light at night as we're sleeping. And this is telling our hormonal system that the photoreceptors on the skin to say, hey, it's time to secrete testosterone. It's time to secrete insulin. It's time to calm down insulin. So in saying that, our pancreas literally has melatonin receptors, which get released at nighttime when we're supposed to be sleeping, that tell our pancreas to go to sleep. What does that mean? Everybody's insulin resistant at nighttime. Let me say that again. Everybody's insulin resistant at nighttime. So if you eat right before bed, guess what? Your insulin is absolutely out of control. Your cells aren't going to receive that information. The blood sugar is going to stay high. You're going to have a really crappy sleep. And the other magical thing that happens at nighttime when we've fasted enough before sleep is that our brains are actually supposed to shrink at nighttime. We have a lymphatic system in our brain, and it's a massaging effect of the brain shrinking pushes the lymphatic out of our brain into the body so our body can process it. When our brain is inflamed and we've got these hormonal signals happening all over the place because we haven't relaxed the digestive system, 
we don't actually open up the lymphatic flow. So toxicity starts to circulate and bounce around in our head. We stimulate cortisol release. So we have a really crappy sleep. So that means we're not getting into a deep hormonal repair. We're not getting to that deep restorative sleep, that deep REM or deep delta stage sleep. So we're not actually recovering. You multiply that by two days, five days, a week, months, years. We're all doing this and we're programming our body consistently to be more dysfunctional, be more, have more brain fog, put on more weight, be more depressed, more anxious. And it's a repetitive pattern. So you said it right. I mean, if you, if you start to honor your body, start to acknowledge the circadian rhythm of the, of our system and actually honor the, our body's need time away from food, especially before bedtime. I mean, that's a fundamental tool that we've all lost for sure. Yeah, and it, it's a major, major issue. And again, I'd like to repeat, do not eat at least four hours before bed, everybody. Prep yourself. to do, Your body does amazing things. And if you've got a full belly full, full of stomach, you're not allowing it to do this magic. And I truly believe that there are a huge portion of people right now that are depressed because they're eating before they go to bed or it's a major contributor. Now, we've talked a lot about insulin and can you explain to everybody how insulin affects cortisol and testosterone? Because I'm a bodybuilder and I love, uh, I love growing muscles and I'm 45 and I'm going to be growing them till they put me in the coffin, hopefully. But I also like to mention with that that I eat within a four-hour eating window and I'm 210 pounds and I've maintained that weight since I started eating with a four-hour eating window. So this whole, mm-hmm. this whole thing about high protein and all of this food is, is from the food companies and it's... Uh, it's a bunch of bullshit in my opinion, but back to insulin, Nick, what is an insulin doing to cortisol and why is high cortisol hard on the body and what is it doing to your testosterone and growth hormone, if anything? Yeah, great question. So insulin and testosterone are diametrically opposed. They cannot both be high at the same time. Same with insulin and growth hormone. They're opposable hormones. One is telling you to store and get stuck in a growth model. So insulin, we can think of it When do we need to grow? We need to grow when we're kids and we need to grow. Women need to grow babies when it's time to grow a baby. But otherwise, we should be really focusing on repair. And that's what testosterone and that's what growth hormone are doing. Cortisol, we know, is catabolic. It's breaking down. And cortisol and insulin are married. So when stress goes up, you start to mobilize sugars. So cortisol rises, sugar starts to mobilize. And then Insulin has to come to the scene to t- take that sugar out of the blood, which we need because we're stressed. And so we're, we have this mentality or fight or flight response that makes us think that we're in danger. So we have to mobilize sugar. So we've got quick energy to adapt. And then insulin has to release to take that, ins- uh, take that sugar and store it in our body. And so it's this chronic cycle of stress and insulin and sugar that's constantly opposing our building hormones or repairing hormones, I should say, of growth hormone testosterone. And if we look at like a population, which we referred to before as type 2 diabetes, high insulin, whenever we test these people, their testosterone is always in the bucket. It's always in the toilet. You can't have high insulin and high testosterone. You know, if you look at the model of um, the fitness world where people are, you know, exercising a ton and obviously they're putting on muscle, you know, we can't say that, or some may argue, well, Clearly, they've, they've got testosterone circulating around their system because they're putting muscle on. And so it's just a different kind of muscle. You probably noticed this for yourself too, Adrian. You're more like can still keep that size and that strength and whatnot, but you're actually also just leaner. So it's like, it's like you're shaving away at that fat that's being stored 
in between our muscle tissue so you can get leaner by actually optimizing these hormones in a more functional kind of way because we still need insulin Insulin's really important we we do need it we just don't need it all day long and we don't need to be taking protein powders every two hours or some of my patients used to wake up in the middle of the night and you know pound back their protein shakes because they were so afraid of losing what they gained throughout you know their day and you know we're learning more and more that this is just not how we uh repair it and nor is it a healthy long-term strategy to aging and keeping muscle on we know that these people unfortunately are, are dying earlier of cardiovascular disease and other issues because their insulin and cortisol pathways are completely opposed to our repair pathways incredible incredible information if you're listening to this everybody there's enough information here to change your life i promise you that and we've still got a bit to go here i'm a big advocate on getting people to let go and slow down I believe, and I was talking to Joy, my uh, my fiance, about this. That uh, there's something magical about what happens in the human body and in your mind when you slow down. We're the only species on the planet that's busy all the time. If I look at the the Zen cats that live outside of my place in Thailand, or if I look at the dogs on the beach, or if you watch fucking ducks, you watch anything in nature. None of them are walking around in fucking fight or flight stressed out busy all the time and and being busy in their sleep so what yeah. message do you have to my audience about stress and how important it is to learn how to meditate and slow down because it's killing mm -hmm. it's killing people oh absolutely well this is where I'd, I'd take it back to our friend dr bruce lipton you know he he wrote the book biology of belief which is really the simplicity of this is that your environment internally and externally are constantly programming the neurochemistry of our body so when we're in high stress we're telling our brain is is saying that we're in a stressful environment we're going to flood the body with all these neurochemicals and we're going to have to respond and react to the environment and the opposite is also true so when we're in a relaxed state we're releasing growth hormone oxytocin you've got your lover beside you or someone you're loving on you're releasing the oxytocin, you're, you're releasing these endorphins that are, that are helping to keep the two of you connected. When we're constantly on our phones or like, you know, all over the place, multitasking and putting in quotation marks, we're flooding our body with these stress hormones that are making it impossible to truly connect with another, to truly connect with yourself. And so this flooding of this neurotoxic chemistry is really a cocktail for dysfunction. And so if we're not implementing self-love strategies through meditation, through yoga, through hypnotherapy, through anything where we're getting into a, and I'm getting excited here and knocking my microphone down. <laughs> um, <laughs> if we're not invoking these altered states of consciousness that we need to invoke through our practice, through, you know, self-inquiry, journaling, you know, meditation, all these things that we referred to, we're actually, we're keeping our neurochemistry stuck in this fight or flight dominant state. And so we don't heal. Like it's, it's like when you drink alcohol, eventually you're gonna get drunk. If you flood your body with this neurochemistry of stress, you're not sending signals to heal. You're not sending, sending signals to repair. You're sending signals to watch out for the tiger, watch out, you know, you gotta fight something off. And it's massively damaging the, the state because once we're in that state, as you teach all the time, it's our perspective of that state. So if we're perceiving that someone's a jackass and towards us and we're in this really negative environment and we're also identifying with this negative environment, we're perpetuating this cycle. 
And so we need something to change that state of consciousness so we can flip out of it and actually start to learn the tools that you teach on how to correct these limiting beliefs, create healthier patterns. I am enough, all the, all the things you teach about letting go. And if we don't go there, your hormones will never be fixed. I teach three core things. If we don't go upstream and heal the toxicity burden, the trauma burden, which is the emotional and physical trauma, and the infection burden, we're not going upstream to solve the problem. We will never get ourselves healthy. Sure, we can manage. Let's implement intermittent fasting, but let's not address the trauma. Let's implement an exercise plan, but let's not address the toxicity, right? Or let's start eating some better foods, but let's not take care of the mouth infection that's never gone away. You know, we have to focus on this multi-therapeutic approach. And as you said, that's all self-love. It's just we have to, you know, start patching up these holes in our consciousness with regards to all these strategies because they're all important. There's not one that's more important than the other, but we slowly have to bring these pieces into our consciousness so that we can focus on that self-love. Incredible, incredible. One thing I want to talk about now is ketosis. So I tried the, I started doing the intermittent fasting and then I uh, started playing around with uh, getting into ketosis and me- measuring my ketones. And I can still remember this and I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. Day five, no food, in ketosis, full on ketones, sitting on a park bench in Vancouver going, holy fuck. I feel incredible. Like from a guy that suffered from generalized anxiety all my life, it's like I've got to fucking spread the message that you need to be spending some time in your fat system, fat burning system and using ketones because it's incredible for what it did for calmness. Uh, Can you tell everybody what you think about the ketogenic diet, ketosis, uh, some tips and tricks on that subject, please? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and that's really the, that's the power of fasting, right? Not everybody who does intermittent fasting, nor not everybody who follows a ketogenic diet is, is ramping up ketosis in the body. And so this state of fasting is so powerful because we're clearing so much clutter in our body and we're forcing this adaptation. We're forcing a change in our fuel source. Now, on the regular, if you're eating every couple hours, your body will not need to go into ketosis. There's a constant supply of fuel. And carbohydrates and things like that are important. There's just like a quick hit of energy. You know, we, we sometimes need that. We sometimes need a quick hit of energy. But when you teach your body the state of ketosis, which is using this fat for fuel, it's a cleaner burning energy. So the way that I like to teach it is that you can imagine we've got glucose. Glucose is like a wood burning fireplace. A wood-burning fireplace constantly requires another log to throw on the fire to keep that fire burning so the energy continues. Burning ketones is like a gas-burning fireplace. You just flip the switch and you're, you're lit up, like, and you just can keep going. There's about 2,000, maybe to 3,000 stored calories in the form of glucose and glycogen, where there's maybe 70,000, 80,000, depending on body size, calories stored waiting to be used in the form of ketones and fats. So it's a near endless supply of energy. And so when we start to actually move through a long enough period of fasting or or through a ketogenic diet where we reduce our carbohydrates to a low enough degree, we can, and proteins for that matter, we can start to force the body to use fat as a fuel. And it's a beautiful change. I mean, I know every day that I get into that day four or five or beyond, it's this hit of clarity. It's like the brain fog lifts the mood elevates, you're starting to create this lateral thinking where you can start to see connections between things because why? 
Well, your mitochondria are actually increasing in numbers in your cells. So when your body knows that there's more fat to be burned and it's, it has to use that, it's an adaptation process. Your cells actually create this process called mitochondrial biogenesis, increasing the production and presence of more mitochondria per cell. And what does that mean for your brain? If you've got more little energy combustion tools using more energy, your brain's going to work a whole lot better because you have more energy. I mean, this is what you teach here, the power on. Returning, your, when you increase mitochondrial numbers, that's how you turn your power on. You're massively invoking a huge change in metabolism. And a lot of the research that's done even on looking at brains of Alzheimer's patients and whatnot, they have such low cellular energy. And what's the biggest pathology or the, the sign of symptom? You can't remember things, you know, brain fog, you know, all these situations that arise because our brain just can't perform well. Well, we have to look at this as actually an energy depleted state. And so if we can invoke this state of ketosis regularly throughout our, our year, throughout our weeks, what have you, really important. Now, I also tell people, just like we don't want to be sugar-driven, we don't want to just solely rely on ketosis. Our, you know, our ancestors definitely used berries and, and things like that as quick hits of sugar. They were probably in ketosis more often just because they had more food scarcity. So it is an adaptive tool that we, we all have power to utilize. But there's no sense in staying in ketosis for, for the rest of your life either because the reality is, is eventually your body will go, maybe I'm really starving, and now it will start to eat away and burn, break down some of those amino acids in your muscle. So what we teach is diet variation. You pulse it on, you go through periods of fasting, you go through periods of feasting. You know, I still am a strong supporter of following a ketogenic diet for a period of the year or different periods of the year. But I'm also a big fan of eating seasonally. So I prefer eating more berries and vegetables and things like that in the summertime. So I think that's the, the issue is that we, we look at um, diets and try to paint a, with a broad brush across, you know, across the picture of the scope so that everyone's doing the same thing. We all have to tune into our bodies. We all have to experience two fuels. We have to know what it feels like to get into ketosis because all of our bodies can do it. And we have to start to look at eating seasonally. We have to adapt to our environment. You in Thailand, you can have more carbohydrates than us in, you know, in Vancouver. There's more sun. The bacteria actually change based on how much sun exposure you get, based on the temperatures. And so a lot of these equatorial regions can actually eat a higher carbohydrate and you can stay as trim and lean as you want and, and, and your carbohydrate load might be higher than it is here in Vancouver. Like you've probably actually noticed that, right? Eh? 100%, 100% change. It's been incredible. One thing I wanted to share to the audience, and I actually haven't asked Nick this yet, but I know he's going to say yes, is Nick's going to come back out and we're going to have more episodes on specific topics and we're going to dive in. Uh, is that cool with you, Nick? Be honored to, buddy. Of course. I, I knew it. I knew I could answer for him, but we're going to have uh, Dr. Jensen out again and again, and we're going to hone in on some of these topics and go a little deeper. Now, uh, Full body diagnostic, it's something I'm very much a big proponent of. When you go see your doctor and you have depression, they just, the GP just writes, most GPs just write you a fucking pill. You go see a psychologist or a counselor and they say, come back and talk to me, but they don't check your body. You and I have worked together closely where I send my clients to you to get their blood work checked. 
Can you explain to people the importance of understanding, you know, for example, adrenal fatigue is very common and one of the main symptoms is depression and low testosterone can have a symptom of depression. So my, my wake mm -hmm. up call to you all out there is how many people out there right now are depressed and haven't had their major, major markers in the physical body checked. So could you speak to that for everybody, please? Yeah, definitely. So everybody needs, in my, in my opinion, to do something what we call a lifestyle panel. It's looking through just basic biochemistry. A lot of these markers are things that your GP can run, but most people just don't have this analysis. So what we always tell people is if, if we can't test you, then we cannot track you. And if we can't track you, how can we properly treat you? You know, the reality is that we're, it's guesswork. I mean, we can go off of symptomology and whatnot, but if we don't have a, a trackable way to see how you're doing, how you're improving, where you started from, it makes any game plan towards health really challenging. So we, we need an ability to see, or do you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis? I mean, we diagnose Hashimoto's thyroiditis more often than patients that come in because we look at the full scope of the thyroid, for example. We see low testosterone all the time, not because we're just looking at the total testosterone, but we're looking at the proteins and the other things that actually bind up that testosterone and make it unavailable. So we're, we're looking at a multitude of different hormonal markers. We're looking at, you know, the typical lipid chemistry, the fasting insulin levels, which I've never seen any GP look at that, even when they're pre-diabetic and, and, and type 2 diabetic. You know, we look at the full scope of someone's biology through an expression in your blood. And then when we tap those resources, started to create a game plan for that. We also want to look at toxicity levels. So we run a heavy metal toxicity plan. We, we often run a test called an organic acid test, which looks at mitochondrial function, looks at infections, looks at yeast and bacterial markers, looks at neurotransmitters, looks at things that basically your body's metabolizing. We do tests to look at food triggers, food sensitivities. We look at leaky gut triggers. We look at Lyme's triggers. We look at a bunch of different infective markers, stool tests. And if we're not getting this data, I feel like I've let people down. They can walk out of the office without getting tested, or maybe five years down the road, 10 years down the road, they could have been focusing on something that, that I was able to help them stop now or reverse. Instead, they're living a life trajectory towards some sort of un, unknown yet illness that's going to creep up out of nowhere. And they're going to go, well, I didn't see that one coming. And the problem is, is that once a disease sets in, man, that's been brewing for years. And so we get to see those markers show up early enough we can start to change the course of someone's future health trajectory by keeping them on track. And so that's why you say, if we can't test you, then we can't track you. If we can't track you, we can't properly treat you. Incredible. And that, as I tell everybody, we know more about our new cars diagnostically than we do about the physical body in the society. The system's fucking broken. We have yeah. the technology to test these things and you do not give someone an antidepressant unless they're in crisis without knowing if there's an underlying cause, because I can still remember working at the health food store and the lady came in and said, well, I don't have thyroid issues because I asked her and she, I, she said, my doctor said, I don't have thyroid issues. And I said, well, you better get your full thyroid checked out because the GPs don't check that. And I sent them to send her to see you guys. She saw your wife yeah. thyroid, found out the thyroid had problems and got her off the antidepressant. So a message to everybody that is suffering from depression right now, you need to have your thyroid check, your adrenal glands, your hormones, your metal toxicity, your B vitamins, your D vitamins. And I know I'm missing some, but it's a super powerful topic. We're missing out on a whole bunch of this stuff with the normal medical system. So again, another reason to go see Dr. Nick Jensen and his wife, Sonia. <laughs> 
to finish off, brother, I'd like to finish off with the topic of toxicity. So can you just share, uh, I know you're very passionate about detoxing and toxicity. Can you just give us a little recap on that and your message yeah. behind that? So, I mean, there's a huge list of toxic exposures. I mean, we could talk about the pesticides in the food, the glyphosate. I mean, Monsanto is getting ripped apart left, right, and center with the different ingredients that are part of the insecticides and things like that. Chlorine in your water, possibly lead in your water. I mean, I've tested people's water and seen just a boatload of different metals. Cookware to uh, medications to uh, seafood to you know, food supply, um, different things that we're exposed to at our work, our choice of work. Silver fillings. There's a, a boatload of endless supply of toxicity exposure. And there's some that I specifically am choosing not to say because I don't want to get in trouble. But the reality is, is that it's ubiquitous. We are being exposed to so many things on a regular basis. So now our bodies are extremely resilient. Like there's no doubt about that. We can have exposures ongoing. They're insidious for the most part. We don't know that they're there, but they're happening on a daily basis. And so early in life, we can do what we can to get them out. But as we bioaccumulate, we're, we're literally programming our genes. Because remember, our genes epigenetically are programmed through our traumas, physical, emotional, through our toxins and through infections. And they're turning on these disease markers. And the problem is, is that toxins do not just stay in the blood. Like you don't just get an exposure, it's in your blood, and it eventually just moves out of your body. We have a, a compartmentalization system known as your fat that stores all this chemistry. So we store it in our subcutaneous fat, we store it in adipose fat, the, the fat around our bellies, and we store it in our visceral fat, this like just basically strangling our organs. We store it in our thyroid, in our adrenal glands, in our brain, and we start to get this massive bioaccumulation. So I break it down to three basic things. Is that one, is that we don't understand that we're actually transferring toxicity generationally. So there's generational toxicity. Umbilical cord blood is showing massively high levels of toxins. Every baby being born is getting exposed to more toxins now than they did 50, 60, 100 years ago. So there's generational toxicity. Number two is our own this life toxicity. You know, maybe we've had the fillings, the, the, the medications or whatever, whatever, the pesticides, whatnot. And then we've got our own detoxification pathways, our epigenetic activation, either for better or for worse, is either helping us remove it or we're accumulators. And these three factors really determine how me as an individual is going to deal with my environment. Because once those toxins get in those cell membrane receptors, it's like a pH change. They bind up on the cell membrane, distort that cell, distort those receptors. And so now say insulin, this is how that diabetes would be activated because of a toxicity. The insulin's not binding very well, or that testosterone's not binding very well, or the progesterone or whatever, whatever. So this comes down ultimately to a hormonal or communication problem from our brains to our bodies and from our environment to our body. Very, very, very powerful information. And you better believe that we're going to come back to all of you with more information on toxicity and detox. Where can everybody find you, Dr. Jensen? I know you got a podcast and uh, divineelements.ca, correct, is your, uh, is your web yeah. address. But where else can they find you other than divineelements.ca? Yeah, and, and I got to say, first of all, brother, I mean, you, you plugged me so many times on this podcast, so <laughs> I appreciate you. 
but yeah, divineelements.ca, colleague of mine, myself, have a podcast called The Dr. Dads. Obviously, we can be found on Facebook. We've got a tribe called Dr. Jensen, True Health Tribe. But those are the main areas. I, we'll, we'll talk maybe more about the longevity lab once it's up and actually running, and that'll be another source. But those are some great ones right there. And awesome. obviously on Twitter, Instagram, Dr. Nick Jensen. Awesome. And I want everybody to understand, I don't make any money from plugging Dr. Jensen. The reason I, I send my clients to see you is because I trust you and because you don't Wow, I can't find the word right now, but a lot of naturopaths, unfortunately, are merchandising, uh, upselling, and, and selling supplements. And I'm not talking bad about all, all naturopaths. It's rampant in every field. But Dr. Nick Jensen will take care of you. And if you're on a budget, he'll still work with you. And he's not going to continue to upsell you and upsell you. He truly does care about you. And I'm, I'm really excited to come back on this podcast with you, brother, and, and dive deep into some of these topics and change some lives together. Very much grateful to have you on the show today. Is there anything you want to end off with by telling our audience? Is there a, one message that you want to leave with people, brother? Yeah, I do. And, and yeah, thank you again for having me. Um, really, this, this starts with self, right? You know, when we're, when we're on a journey towards greater understanding of, of our purpose, our, our role in this planet, we have to do a, a real self-check and self-analysis. Am I living my best life? Am I living my healthiest life? Am I having the vitality that I, I truly want for myself? Where are we just being sort of complacent with the, the kind of results we're getting? We need to demand more of ourselves. We need to demand more of our minds, our bodies. Uh, we need to be able to demand more of our environment. So we have to force ourselves into uncomfortable zones. So I can't stress enough how important it is to get uncomfortable. And sometimes the most uncomfortable place is to obviously do some of the work that, <laughs> that you can offer people and allow people to get rid of their limiting beliefs. And I want you to challenge yourself to run head on into that worry that you may have about a dis-ease process showing up. You got, it's better to know what you're working with and what's going on than to just kind of sit in the dark and be complacent. So don't forget the strength that's within. And, you, and I tell my boys this every day, how do you get stronger? Well, you got to face your challenges first and you got to do hard things. And if you're willing to do that, nothing can stand in your way. Amazing, brother. A super exciting episode. And again, my message to everybody listening to this, your job is to come home to yourself, to find out what faulty beliefs you have, find out what things you're doing to yourself that aren't healthy, learn how to love yourself. And partnering with a hypnotherapist like myself and someone like Dr. Nick Jensen is an amazing, powerful combo. And both of us working together with you is going to help you facilitate the, we're going to facilitate the awakening of your personal power. Again, Dr. Nick Jensen, divineelements.ca. His wife is also a naturopath. She's an incredible woman also. Very much worth flying to Vancouver if you're not in Vancouver to work with these two people. I believe in them highly and super, super excited to have you on the show, brother. So everybody, you have one life, you have one chance, you have an immense amount of power inside of you. You just need to do the daily activities to turn your power on and you can thrive. Never give up. Change is for sure possible and you have one life, one chance. So go turn your power on, love yourself and uh, create an amazing life. Another awesome episode of the Power on Boost. Super excited to be talking to you. Check back in next week for another episode and have an amazing day. Make today the best day of your life. Make today the best day of your life. One life, one chance. Thanks, everybody. 
You just finished another episode of the Power On Boost podcast with your host, Adrian Wesley. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and tune in next time. Power On!